welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. It was cool that we met inside of that class because that mm-hmm. was kind of the beginning. Well, not the, it was the beginning for me. You know, Jenny, through her work at the Culture Project, already had more experience around chastity education and purity and um and and virtue the theology of the body was really the beginning for me of that those conversations but we were both coming from pasts that were built more on the the contemporary dating model like Mm -hmm. you get a boyfriend you get a girlfriend you're fundamentally asking will you be exclusive with me in a relationship um, where we have kissing rights. I think Brian's background with dating was a little different than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I only had one serious boyfriend before I met Brian, and I didn't want to date through any of high school. I was convinced that that was just, for lack of a better term, a waste of time, because what I, I just know in my heart of hearts from the moment I was... I remember when I was 13 years old, I made a commitment to chastity, and then I went back and forth and you know, blurred the lines as far as what that meant throughout my teenage years and early 20s. But I just knew that I wanted like a forever love Mm. and um, really desperately wanted um, that. Uh, And so I just didn't really have interest in anything really long term in high school or um, in middle school. I remember I started getting involved in the hookup scene, you know, just like making out and that sort of thing with um, different people. But for me, there was just no purpose because I was like, I'm too young to get married. There was always a correlation in my head between dating and marriage. That, I think, was um, a result of, you know, my dad was from a small town in North Dakota. He grew up there and there was always that kind of Midwest value system, at least, of like what everything my dad ever taught me and my mom was always very intentional. Like there's a purpose for doing something, you know, you're going to math tutoring so that you can get ahead in that you're going to be dating someone so that you can discern a partner. Um, and that was kind of the end of the parental (laughs) involvement or guidance around discernment of relationships. But yeah, so I just feel like my, my dating scope was rather limited. Um, it was limited to like really one person in terms of getting to know that person. And so, yeah, dating was always something very serious to me. Mm. It was, it meant commitment. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a, a synonymous with that. Whereas I know with other people, it can mean like, yeah, we're dating, which means we're also seeing other people, which means I have rights, assumed rights of hookup and, uh, you know, all these different things. So Brian had, what was your experience like of dating? It was all over the board. Um, it started, you know, when I was still, I held on to like, um, you know, I want to be virginal for my wife. And uh, I held on to some pretty pure senses of uh, of relationship all through high school uh, that started to break down during college. And by the time I got to grad school, it was just like completely out of the window. And I was completely in the world, just buying into everything that the world was selling. And, and you weren't practicing your faith anymore? And, and it, it's a direct correlation. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, if it's not TMI, I mean, I was 22 years old when I um, gave myself to a woman, unfortunately. And, um, and 
that was I, w- I would say that was you know that was the end of my faith life that's when I separated from the Lord and uh, you know tried to hold on to little bits of of church after that but there was no way really like how could I it was I was completely two-faced and uh, so I chose world over God and went down that path for like 12 years and then I was living in New York and Los Angeles and you know, very ripe places for, you know, I moved out of the Midwest where there was still some sense of value mm, yeah. into like the hotbeds of, <laughs> of worldliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so it ran the gamut. I mean, I was uh, a serial monogamist. I, that is something that did stay with me from, uh, from my upbringing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, d- dating for to have a companion, someone to knock around with, that was part of it. Um, I did have my eye on marriage, but I didn't want a family back then. You know, I kept thinking, yeah, I'm just going to marry a career woman and we're both going to work and travel and it'll be awesome. So so marriage was still distant in it, your it was, mind? There was, no, there was no time pressure. Yeah. You know, without kids involved, there was mm-hmm. no time pressure and... I was also like in search of the perfect, the perfect one. That was my thing. According uh, to the world. According to the world, totally. Yeah, what, would, what did that look like oh, for man. the I, ten year old, ten years ago? You. I, w- I would be embarrassed to talk about it. And let's see, putting myself in my ten years ago shoes, which I try not to spend too much time dwelling on, because there's obviously there's a lot of memories attached, which yeah. I've prayed and prayed, uh, you know, that our blessed mother would just take those memories out of my head because they're so not conducive to to purity and chastity but um maybe we don't need to go back there we, we won't go no we won't go back there but i but i will talk yeah the ideal was someone who was actually did has anyone seen the movie keeping the faith yep okay so right ben stiller ed norton and jenna elfman yeah. and jenna elfman's character in that film that was that was it she was <laughs> she was like uh very ambitious, career focused, very strong, kind of like a, I mean, yeah. looking back, there, there wasn't too much that was feminine about her, at least uh, at the beginning of that movie. Um, but I, yeah, there was something about that. I mean, you have to go watch that movie now. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but someone who's uh, strong and driven and independent and... Um, What's so funny is that was... Th- totally the person I was trying to become mm-hmm. after college. Well, and that's totally the person that I think you brought a lot of that when we first... Yeah. Oh, definitely. When we first met. Yeah. And, uh... I graduated and went into investment banking. A lot of my female role models growing up, not that there's anything wrong with doing that as a career for a woman, um, but, yeah, I went into that with this idea of just all the role models I had had growing up were involved in finance and or were top litigators at major law firms or just really these powerhouse women who were on Forbes lists and that sort of thing. And that was my, that was my model of woman. And so naturally I wanted to kind of take my place in that world of um, money and distinction and a sexy job title and Mm. wearing the power suit and, um, yeah, being able to brag about how many hours you worked this weekend. And I remember, yeah, that quickly faded, though. After, you know, six or seven months of 120-hour weeks, I was mm-hmm. like, well, this is just not 
I kind of started just to become like a hollowed out version of myself. Obviously it takes the place of everything else when you're working that much. So, um, but yeah, it's funny because I was definitely trying to become that woman. And I'm sure my, a lot of the things that I was attracted to in a guy back then were a lot of things you were probably, it's just the world's definition Mm -hmm. of, you know, what was yours? I think it was, uh, extremely athletic and tall. It had a lot to do with the physicality of a man. Mm-hmm. As if that represented something in terms of his inner strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, I was dating a professional athlete, and um, that was just the focus of the, his life. And it was, it was that limited, and it was that, that was the entirety of it. There was no, like, multi-dimension of that person in terms of. Um, I kind of quickly learned that I could have a good friend to kind of kick around with, a companion, but. There was nothing else there. We didn't share our faith. We didn't share our love of discussion, our love of reading. Um, and, you know, it's surprising to me in retrospect having that that lasted so long. But I was really in the thick of it as far as my emotional attachment to him because we weren't practicing chastity as much as it was important to me. Like I, re- like I referenced earlier, I was at lacrosse camp when I decided when I was 13 that I was going to save sex until marriage and I was going to do my best to kind of um, remain pure in all other ways and then that kind of slowly got chipped away at through high school and getting involved in the hookup culture and partying. It's interesting I, I would say definitely for me and it sounds like for you too that over the past year and a half of knowing each other what we look for in someone else has completely changed Absolutely. and not like not towards i mean it's been nice that it's happened in tandem that it's like that at the same time you've been changing my what i want you know in a potential future spouse has been changing too toward in the same way that you've been changing mm-hmm. and i think vice mm-hmm. versa uh, but independent it's but not yes, for the other person exactly yeah yeah, we've just been learning at the same time about real masculinity, real femininity, what that means to us, what that means in our future spouse. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think when I first met you, it was all of those kind of alpha male qualities that mm-hmm. first drew me to you. Yeah. Um, but then what I've come to appreciate about you the most as you've moved away from that has been all the other feminine virtues that mm-hmm. you've grown that you've grown in. So can you uh, elaborate a little bit more on what you mean when you say real masculinity and real femininity? Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's a difficult pill to swallow because it's so countercultural to even like talk about those different things. Mm-hmm. But I think man was created and given an innate authority uh, to help guide and protect his family as well as to provide for that family. And I think we went to a talk recently where someone very succinctly articulated that the virtues you're looking for in a man are the virtues associated with fatherhood. It doesn't really have that much to do about companionship because these are things you can develop in terms of common interests with a lot of different people. But what you're really looking for is the virtues that would be good for a father to embody. And one of the main virtues associated with that in terms of selecting a, a, a man to marry is the virtue of self-denial because sacrifice obviously is at the core when we talk about loving someone 
loving someone is to will their good and to choose and being able to sacrifice and put your wants aside for the good of another. I mean, because of course, sexuality is incredibly alluring and attractive. It's, it's holy, it's beautiful, it's good. I bet that's going to just scandalize someone on the radio that I just said that, but the church (laughs) views sexuality as good and holy and beautiful and sex itself as holy and good and beautiful. So of course that's attractive, Mm -hmm. but in its proper place, in its proper time. So self-denial is the virtue most associated with uh, masculinity, as well as the ability to provide and protect. Mm -hmm. And then for a woman, her virtues, let's see if I can name them. Do you think I can do it? Do you want to do it? Go ahead. Well, I want to talk about the ones that that really stand out to me, you Mm -hmm. know, when, when, um, so charity uh, being a huge... Uh, and, and, you know, the man is called to, you know, grow in charity as well. But, um, but as far as like discerning a a proper wife, uh, and this is from, again, this is from a talk that we went to, um, where he just laid out, he's like, these are the things that you look for in a husband. These are the things you look for in a wife. Like, and your whole discernment of marriage is do, you know, do they exhibit these virtues sufficient, sufficiently enough, you know, um, that, that they would be a good, a good spouse. So yeah, so there's charity, um, trust slash docility. And I know that's a really tough one for women, especially this day and age to swallow. Um, because there's so much m- misunderstanding, I think, around the terminology. Yeah. Yeah. And if you could speak to that, yeah, that would be I think, awesome. I think, especially as someone who's, who has viewed femininity as almost something repulsive in the past and something to be like shaken off and left in the dust. Um, Docility and trust speak to the fact, at least for me and my limited understanding of the two becoming one. I don't know, maybe it's just my understanding, but I think, I think at least for myself and for many of the women that I'm friends with or know, there's a fieriness in our temperament sometimes. Like there's a, a lot of passion. There's, of course, the textbook model of the differences of our hormones every month versus a man's, which are absolutely steady, and a woman's that looks like a mm-hmm. a 1980s roller coaster a little bit with these major hormones. And I think it's virtues are meant to help lead us to heaven. They're almost like I think of them sometimes as like water slide shoots. If you're at the top of this big water slide pillar and you're like, which ones do I want to go down? Well. Docility is one that is most, I think, repulsed by so many women because it's something that is so difficult for us to want to do. And first of all, it, it, it's so necessary to build a family because if I don't trust this man with my soul and my life and my well-being and the well-being lives and souls of my children to lead us, then, then I'm not really actually committing in my vows the way that I am articulating. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that's been something that I've just learned by basically doing everything opposite of what the church's teaching is. So I think that's something that we share in common is kind of like this stubborn, like mule. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but just we have to really do it for ourselves and 
learn and see for ourselves, which I think is, is good. Almost like a precursor to evaluating my own readiness for marriage. Was I ready to trust a person with my well-being? And um, we have talked about, you know, finances and the setup of our family, hypothetically, of course, um, as we've discerned closer to marriage. And it is my desire to be at home with my with my children and to still, of course, keep my hands involved with other projects. But I think docility just allows there to be the freedom between the couple to kind of be on the same team. And, um, of course, that comes hand in hand with uh, St. Paul's letter where he says, you know, men love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? What did Christ do for the for his bride, the church? He laid down his life. And I think that's where it's often misunderstood about docility. Women be, you know, docile to your husbands, but, or in conjunction with men loving your spouse like Christ loved his bride. Well, I think that's a, that's a passage that's often mm-hmm. taken out of context or misquoted or uh, I remember it being read at a wedding once where there were a lot of non-Catholics present and just seeing people's jaws hit the floor. <laughs> Women be submissive to your husband. And then like there was like this this ripple of mm. murmurs through, through the, the crowd. Couple flip tables. <laughs> <laughs> flip pews, people walking out. But the, the best way that I heard it explained, what really resonated with me was submissive, literally submission being behind the mission of your husband. You know, if a wife is not su- in support of the the mission in a husband's life, whether that, you know, that's that's part of his career, his family. Um, but that's something she's also discerned intentionally in the courtship process that that's the time to discern, not during the marriage. Mm-hmm. Oh, should I trust this man? Should I yeah. not? Mm-hmm. The trust happens. That formation needs to be in place well before the vows are exchanged, which is something I never understood before. I was like, well, you just learn, you know, two people just grow. And it was just this very like hippy dippy kind of understanding that eventually we'll get there as a team. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. That's something that can be seen very visibly in the actions of the other person well before any vows or exclusivity needs to happen. And I think that's why to tie back in the idea of friendship, that's why that period of friendship, how does that person treat other women, other men? How do they relate to people in your parish who may be older, younger? Um, so how just, do they relate to their work? How do they relate to their work? Yeah. What are their priorities? How, you know, are they, are they the kind of person who stays up late every night playing video games or do they care about sleep and they see the correlation between sleep and illness, you know, and I think just really seeing is that person ready to take on the responsibilities of, you know, for a family. So we, we derailed from virtues, but mm-hmm. I couldn't remember the other feminine virtues. So I'm just oh, kind I of got ignoring. Go, do it. Yeah. <laughs> I love docility. <laughs> it's something I certainly can use prayers for. It's well, yeah, me too. I mean, because like that, not to start like a whole other t- conversation, yeah. but um, I think it's especially hard for us because we have to be independent. Like, I have to live on my own. I sure. have to make my own money. I do feel like God has His own personal calling for me, or else I wouldn't mm-hmm. be in LA. Um, but at, 
it's very hard for me to envision a future. And I know that God just keeps telling me, don't worry. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you'll figure it out. Like, don't worry. But um, I do have a certain amount of anxiety because, like, I would love to have kids and be at home with them. Yeah. But how do I balance that out with what God is calling me to do? Yeah. What, you know? Well, I think the... what? How does the order go? It goes... Uh, the state of state of your soul, the state of your vocation, and the state of your occupation, and obviously, in the hierarchy. So the state of your soul is the top. State of grace or not in the state of grace, and then mm-hmm. the state of your vocation is either you've been, you've fulfilled your natural or supernatural vocation. So either to marriage or to the religious life, and then your work is foundational in terms of the your everyday occupation is the means of your sanctification. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to keep that in mind because mm-hmm. you're never going to do anything in your vocation that compromises the state of your soul. Yeah. And you're never going to do anything in your work that compromises either the state of your vocation or the state of your soul. Yeah. Um, and I feel like... And it's totally in the Lord's plan for right. every young woman um, and young man. But, I mean, specifically talking about women, we are we are made to be in community with other young women you know, whether that's roommates or just great girlfriends, because the sense of Thomas Merton, No Man is an Island, was one of the most influential books I ever read, because my understanding of femininity growing up was you have to be this independent, self-sufficient, almost similar to like a robot. You have to be able to like generate your own food and yeah. your own mm-hmm. money and your own clothing and you know the independent woman Beyonce you know think Destiny's Child, mm-hmm. and that was very much something that I bought into or just assumed was very correct and that's not contrary to our ultimate vocation. That is a stage in life mm-hmm. that you know I'm incredibly passionate about, like a hierarchy of goods and writing about that and thinking about that and. Um, you know, I'll text Brian occasionally and I'll be like, I just started writing a book about parenting. (laughs) I've never parented before, but like we have so many gifts that we're each, you know, given and those don't stop. And my exploration and dedication to those don't stop all of a sudden when I get married. That's not my plan to just hang up all of my independence or hang up all of my Mm. creativity or my, the beautiful things the Lord has created about me. I think rather, you know, if we if we trust and believe that our vocation is our ultimate path to sanctification, then some of the other things just take more of a backseat role. Um, it was not my, my dream to be a stay-at-home mom when I was younger because all the models I saw for that, and even in the rhetoric in my own family a little bit, really put that down and spoke about that as though she had somehow given up on all of her creative passions and all the ways that she was meant to influence the world. But I kind of started to realize that what better vocation is there in the world than raising tiny saints? And if I could be entrusted with that, like the Lord is not, he's not, um, shortchanged me. (laughs) I firmly believe that I will still have you know, various interests and my love of reading will continue. It'll certainly take on a different form in terms of the amount, but, you know, I think that's why the Opus Dei spirituality really resonates with the both of us that, like, your daily work 
changing a diaper for me right now, I changed the diapers of this little 18-month-old girl that I nanny part-time. That is an act of love. It's an, it's a prayer in the sense that I'm able to serve the Lord in this small manner. Um, and I think that's why these various spiritualities are so great to kind of learn. They're all different paths to kind of learn how we can... Um, yeah, become fully ourselves and fully alive within the context of our vocations. But it doesn't mean hanging up our hat yeah. in terms of, like, putting our our independent selves away or anything like that. So I feel like so much joy and freedom within my identity as a woman in the sense that I could. We have the freedom, the choice to be businesswomen if that's what our heart truly desires. Um, that is, of course, like an option to any woman. But when I think about it at the end of the day, there's so much greater joy that I personally at least have anticipating being involved in the raising of children and wanting to do that right, wanting to be able to kind of take the lessons learned from my upbringing and from... Mm -hmm my future spouse's upbringing and you know how can we then set our children up for the greatest possible lives in terms of them finding their vocations and falling in love with our lord and serving him with their lives so i feel like as long as we fit those uh, hit those boxes as far as like hitting the requirements of like in love with the lord check and <laughs> serving him with all my heart and all my strength check and I think the the rest is just semantics as far as what you label it as, whether mm -hmm. it's part-time business mom or part-time stay-at-home mom, part-time, I don't know. So, But yeah, there's just so much, I've just found so much more joy in being a woman now that I feel like I have the choice to raise my own children. That was something I previously didn't feel like I had access to. I thought mm -hmm. that it would be the, the role of a nanny or the role of a... Mm. Yeah, and so that's been really, really nice. So so the other feminine virtues. Yeah, so there's uh, docility, trust, charity in the will, faith in the intellect, and yeah, that's modesty in word, dress, and action. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I used to really, I mean, with each of these virtues, I feel like anyone who's raised in the culture has an initial, like, What? That's so restrictive. That's so old-fashioned. Mm -hmm. That's so this, that, and the other. But then when you actually jump in and try to dress more modestly and you see how the reactions of men change and you see how they treat you differently and not staring at parts of your body from afar at the gym or evaluating, I don't know. Yeah. We just take a second to talk about modesty. <laughs> that would be great. Because uh, I do feel like as as men get further along their faith journey and as men grow in holiness, uh, they become completely turned off by immodesty. So, you know, if a w woman was looking for a holy man or a man who's going to be a, a really great father and a man who really practices self-control, then, uh, then yeah, I, I, I would say that she needs to get really interested in modesty really quickly um, because, yeah, it's, whereas I used to like, you know, like to look at the immodest dressed women, you know, back when I was in that world, it's, 
it's become a complete like um just to see a woman kind of disrespecting herself in that way is such a turn off at this point um mm-hmm. so uh so yeah so that we could do a whole other show on modesty yeah. but i just feel like it's it's so not talked about these days. <laughs> I was very obstinate to the idea of modesty just yeah. because I never thought I dressed very immodestly. Um, my mom was always really adamant about dressing elegantly and in a classy manner and having style icons like Kate Middleton or uh, Grace Kelly or Audrey Hepburn, these more kind of classic, iconic women, um, very feminine in their attire. But... I just remember feeling like, again, it was something oppressive that I had to do this. Mm. And a rule. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's always important to like, especially when someone is hearing modesty from the secular perspective, modesty is not something that's supposed to be restrictive because just like anything that is holy, the tabernacle, it is veiled, a bride, she is pure, she's approaching the altar and approaching her future spouse, she is veiled. So too, our bodies are beautiful and they are veiled because this is something that in marriage will then belong in part to my spouse. And there's always, again, there's always that reason in the church as to why she's trying to encourage us to practice a certain virtue. And modesty is something that is meant to basically ensure the protection and, and kind of the beauty and the, the sake, the sacredness of the female body. I mean, there is something incredible about the fact that like our bodies bear life and grow a human. And of course, like, you know, with the, with the bringing about of the, the bikini, I think it was in the sixties. That was such a, hmm. such a strange kind of shift in. You're wearing your underwear on the outside. Yeah. yeah. Why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny how like you can go to the beach and wear a bikini and be fine. But then like, if a guy caught you in your underwear, you'd be like, Oh my gosh. You know, like when, I mean, (laughs) but yeah, that's, that's, so I stick to one pieces now because I'm, yeah, I also think I'm especially excited for when I'm a mom and I'm like super pretty and a mom in a one piece. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a mom (laughs) in a one piece looking pretty. So I'm just getting ready right now. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't know. And know about what? Uh, you know, about docility. Okay, so it makes sense that inherent in a man is the role and desire to lead and protect a family mm-hmm. and their scriptural basis for that and everything mm-hmm. like that. But Jenny says it's a difficult pill to swallow, but I think it's nearly impossible. I might choke on it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just don't know really what that looks like. And maybe it's because I haven't yet met a man who I would just trust. And I guess in an ideal world, we would just be on the same page yeah. about many things. And I guess maybe part of it has to do with my daddy issues and like, you know, dealing with that and like abandonment and stuff like that. Um, Certainly, yeah. I, I think you hit it on the head. Um, finding the right man that yeah. you can be on the same page with. It's not like 
hey, go marry whoever, and right. you suddenly and have to... And then just Justin. Yeah, I mean... Right, that's and that's not what they're, they're saying. I don't think that that's of course what they're not. saying Of course all. not, but yeah. I think, you know, with them, just not knowing them, but seeing them in the room and just that hour we spent with them, I could see that they're very much... I mean, I know they're not married yet. They're thinking about it, um, but they were very much on the same page. I mean, it takes a strong person to want to do the courtship model the way that they're doing, yeah. and they're both on the same page with that, so that's awesome for them, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, for you and I, Derek is a very special person because I, I am such my own person too, Yeah, you know, and I, I like have my own opinions and, you know, we've talked about this where it's taking longer and longer for people to get married or deciding to get married. So we're single for more, you know, like for so long and you learn to develop habits as a single person, Well, yeah, because, especially as a woman. Right. Because, you know, I, I do know some women that I would say embody docility, but they're not building towards any sort of career. They're kind of like, oh, I nanny part-time, and then I bake when I'm at home, and I sew dresses, and, you know, and that would be great. Like, I would love that kind of life, but I feel like God has called me to something else. Yeah, and and for our our listeners, that's not in any way to disparage and yeah yeah yeah, yeah, i'm not trying to disparage because you know like i have two of my best friends you know they're they're stay-at-home moms and i like that is the hardest i would love to be the (laughs) stay-at-home mom yeah it's like those are the hardest jobs ever oh my gosh i i even remember when i was in college thinking like "Ah, why am i even here all i want to do is get married have children and (laughs) raise my children it just sounds awesome yes like but uh, you know i feel like god has called me to do something else to a totally different career, which, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily have a problem with giving up once, like, a family comes in to my life. But that's not the stage I'm at right now. That doesn't I right sound now, good for me. <laughs> I'll always have time for you, Please Laura. don't leave me. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, like, I, I wouldn't necessarily be trying to hustle as much as I am right now, you know, because right now I'm basically... You know, if, trying to make ends meet. If I'm not interpreting, sure. I'm lift driving, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then if I'm not lift driving, I'm writing, and then if I'm not writing, I'm producing, and then you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, um, and then I'm podcasting, yeah. all the time. So, you know, yeah, it's I, I wouldn't, I'm not like so tied to my career that I would say, oh, I have to do this, and this defines me and everything sure. like that. But at the same time. I just have to focus on where I am now and where God has called me now. And that includes being a really headstrong, independent, opinionated person. And it's very hard for me to... Sure. Well, I would even challenge that in love and and just say, like, we both are on the same page with we're headstrong, independent in our singlehood. But I would go back to what you were saying, you know, like maybe if you found the right person I and mean, God does call. Ideally, women. I would be loved for myself. No, of course. No, of course. <laughs> but of that's, course. that is a fear. Like, I yeah. mean, that is one of my great just underlying fears is that like, has God called me to a position that requires me to be so independent and headstrong and have all this masculine energy? And does that exclude actually attracting someone because I'm not that feminine right now. Well, I feel like the guy that... Has you, God doomed me to singlehood? Basically, that's my underlying... I, I feel like that's only a question that God can answer <laughs> and in time will we'll tell. But I was actually going to say, it's like God does have certain things that he says about 
masculine and feminine roles in his word, like gender roles, which, you know, is controversy right now in the world in 2016. But, you know, like, I think like what she's talking about and Brian is talking about, like, are very idealistic and very much based on the word. And like you and Mm -hmm. I were talking about offline, it's like there's certain extremes to that, right? You know, you could take liberty at it or you can be like, you know, we have these reactions against docility and the word submission, you know, and because out of context, it's like, no, I don't want like as a woman, like I do not want to be that person. But but there is something inherently yeah. feminine in that, you know, that's why I'm saying like I agree to that. So yeah. when when we say like we're called to these, you know, high powered positions such as, you know, like she wanted to be investment banker and, you know, you and I want to be producers and all of those things. And those are like, in a lot of ways, traditionally, like has a lot of masculine energy behind it just because, you know, traditionally women are not in those positions of authority. Um, They are now, but like, you know, traditionally in the last 2000 years, we are, we just haven't been, you know, it's great to see our fellow women rising up and becoming, you know, like we may, I'm not going to get political, but we may have our first woman president, you know, uh, Britain is having their second female prime minister come into power right now. And there's a different role now that women play. And I just find that, we need to reconcile as Christians, as believers, mm. of what really God is calling us to do. You know, there's a cu- cultural context in which we live that, yeah, I have to fend for myself. And once I get married, once you get married, like, what is God really calling us to do, however? You know, and those are conversations that we must have with our spouses or our partners or whatever. Um, and I respect what Jenny is doing and what she wants to do in her relationship with Brian. I'm with you, though. Like, that's going to be really difficult for me because, and for you, obviously, because we've been in this position for so long, being our own person. But whatever it may look like as believers, I think we need to go back to God's word and just really see what he's calling us to do. I mean, this is going to be a fascinating um, conversation for down the line when we do talk about femininity and mm-hmm. what does that mean in God's eyes, with the world's eyes. I mean, we have an upcoming podcast. And what does authenticity mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, I love that we have an upcoming uh, episode called The Male Feminist. Feminist with your friend Marsha, which mm-hmm. I'm really excited for our listeners to hear because, you know, as a male, having those uh, notions of what it means to be female, what it means to be male. And even Charles, a couple weeks ago, you know, touched mm-hmm. on, you know, why can't we just be equal partners? I'm like, I get that, but that doesn't mean we're the same. So yeah. it, there's a lot of conversation to happen mm-hmm. around uh, female versus male versus And I recognize roles. that. Yeah. I am still... I don't claim to have the answers by any means. Oh, for and sure. I'm still Me neither. definitely searching. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is important to say. I mean, you know, as I go into a new role in my life, um, as I prepare to get married, it's it's like that whole, it's exactly this question. It's like, how much of am I, am I going to really give over to my husband? And it's like, what is that par- partnership going to look like when I've so, for so long, have just made my own decisions? But he is not the kind of person, though, I would say, to just take the reins and say, we're going to do whatever I say, no matter what. No, no, not at all. I mean, I think, I, like, God just knew, because I've been totally blessed in that way, because I have been so the producer type. Yeah. He's so the writer type. He's yeah. just kind of, so we fit in that way, um, and we've had examples in our lives, like, um, my mentor and her husband, they're the same way. She's the high-end producer, and she kind of 
you know, does her thing. And she, in a lot of ways from the outside looking in, it looks like she's running the marriage. Mm. Um, She's wearing the pants. Yeah. But of course (laughs) that's not true. Like, you know, I see, I see them together and I see him um, also He's definitely not slacking. Exactly. Like child rearing or with anything else. Absolutely. So there, there is a middle balance. Yes. Middle middle ground. Um, And it's just interesting to have that conversation in 2016 when all of these things about gender are coming up in Mm, Yeah, and what it means to be a man man or a woman. So um, I would just encourage both of us, you know, let's let's see what God's word really says. Okay. Because I think, (laughs) um, but that goes for me too, you know, because I think that it's not just calling women to just be doing nothing, you know, like in just being. Of course not. Yeah, Yeah, of course not. So for our Bible verses today, we wanted to read a couple of things that have been giving, you know, Christianity a bad rap when it comes to being a woman, because <laughs> people talk about these things out of context. I mean, you, you talk about like First Timothy, Timothy 2, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, Ephesians uh, 5 says, wives, submit to your own husband. But as to the Lord, I mean, there's more to it, right? But First Peter, do you want to read that one? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Yeah, that doesn't sound great for us, right? I mean, it's not too (laughs) helpful for the single woman, you know... (laughs) What am I supposed to do if I don't have a husband to submit to and a gentle and quiet spirit? I mean, I I do try to cultivate that. Like, I am really, really trying to grow in gentleness. Quietness will probably never be my strong suit. (laughs) Just guessing. Well, it's a a virtue to exercise, I guess. Just the uh, self-controlled gentleness. It is a nice reminder to make our hearts a priority rather yeah. than externals. Which, you know, can be somewhat of a hollow. But is hollow... that really attractive, though, too? Well, it was like... a, well, first of all, it could be like a hollow encouragement. It's like, oh, I just need to be a better person in, inside, you know. But, but what you're about to say, right? Like, is that really a help? Is that yeah. really... Um... Is that really going to get me a husband? Maybe the right kind of husband or, you know, I don't know. But see, you know, one of the comments that we heard when we were doing our What is Dating episode mm-hmm. on the survey and just mm-hmm. on Reddit and stuff, a common complaint is there are no attractive women like at my parish or at my youth group Ouch. and all the women. <laughs> I'm just not attracted to anyone. And I think, I mean, you know, so well, women are just sure not thinking about their external appearances. <laughs> I think you need to, everybody needs to help one another in that. I mean, you don't want to be a hot mess, you know, men or women. But, you know, there there comes a thing with uh, maturity, right? It's it's bo- on both parts. One person, um, on the one hand, should be growing um, as a person, um, you know, if they're a believer, you know, growing in the Lord. And, the, and then on the other hand, there is also the person that ma- has to grow in maturity to 
accept. And this happens simultaneously for yeah. both, on both sides. It's like, I have to be growing to be the person that God wants me to be as a single person within um, whoever my partner will be now that I know that to be Derek. You already know. Yeah. But, you know, in theory, it's like he's going to be out there somewhere growing. And, you know, like our audience knows our sto- a little bit of our story. It took two and a half years for us to go on that second date because I wasn't ready to a certain degree and he just wasn't ready to a certain degree. We both had to grow up. And um, and I think it is an encouragement. It, again, it could sound so hollow when you're like, waiting and waiting and waiting but in the end it talks about first peter talks about but let your adorning be of the hidden person of the heart which sounds so cheesy right but it really is true i think you know when you get to know somebody and you get to be attracted and or somebody is attracted to your inner person it's like that is so much better and so yeah. much sweeter once it happens, then and enduring. Yeah, then then like, oh, I think you're super hot. Let's go on a date, oh, and yeah. then it like not last. You of know, of course, of course. But I mean, I feel like that we're more prone to that, like especially when we're younger. You know, when like hormones are raging, and you're like whatever. But then as we mature, and I think it is harder to find a mate when you're older because you are looking for something more substantial. I mean, for the mature to. For the ones that are mature, I mean, there are those that well, are older my, and not ready. One of my guy friends put it this way, that guys have no real timeline to grow up. So that when they finally do, and they're like 40 or whatever, they can always date a 22-year-old. Right. Yeah, that makes me <laughs> not happy. Which is factual, but makes me really mad. Anyway. Yeah, there's, oh, well. we should do an episode on ageism mm. because it's so much easier for men who are older to just date the younger, hotter yeah. girl. Model. And then for and women... And by model, I mean... Um, anywhere, anyone under 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By model, I mean like type. Yeah. You know. It's true. Or maybe it's not true. I don't know. Um, that's a conversation we should have. But anyway... Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> This is an ongoing conversation. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Yeah, this has been episode 14 of Fishers of Men. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men and on Twitter as at LA Gone Fishing. And please rate us on iTunes. We'd love to really get our material out there. And if you rate us, then more people will discover us. We can help more people. <laughs> Be as confused as we are. I'm Laura Samara. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.